This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It's important we look at the facts. Why? Why? Douglas Ross is sounding pretty scared. I believe in independence. And he clapped like a seal. Hi again. Uh, welcome to another Planet Hollywood. I'm Paul Hutchin, political editor of the Daily Record. Joining me to chew over the uh, best stories of the week are Hannah Roger, chief reporter of the Sunday Mail, and also Douglas Dickey of the Scottish Daily Express. So the number one story in town remains the number one story in town, and that is the police investigation into SNP finances. It's not been quite as frenetic as it's been in previous weeks, but there's still enough to discuss and chew over. I think that there's only two stories I want to look at. Um, Hannah, the first one was the Sunday Mail exclusive about police investigating an Amazon account that may or may not be linked to the SNP. Do you just want to talk us through that and why it's significant? Well, I mean, it's it's a pretty simple story in the sense that, you know, what you've just said, the, the police are examining, you know, an Amazon account which purchases from which may have been made uh, using SNP funds and we know that you know the SNP funds are part of the fraud probe um, I think it's you know the 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 volume of purchases or the volume of, of transactions um, is where the I suppose that makes it interesting so I think there's around a thousand different um, transactions that are, are being examined by the police as part of this so you know, it just kind of builds this picture of the investigation of of the types of things that the, the police are looking at. Um, but as you say, things have kind of calmed down somewhat recently. I think just people are, um, you know, the, the information is sort of dripping out here and there, but it's not that sort of big sensational um, thing that it was when obviously uh, Peter Morell was arrested right at the beginning. I suppose, Hannah, you, know, you look at all these stories that Sunday Mail have been doing, and I, I guess that one of the takeaways is the police are taking this very seriously indeed, aren't they? Well, yeah, I mean, they, they would have to. Um, you so know, this is not some sort of cursory tick box exercise, you know, in terms of the detail that's come out in the Sunday Mail, the, the, you know, there are they are, this is quite a thorough forensic investigation. And although, well, although, yeah. it's, although it's kind of, as you say, it's not as as busy in the newspapers this, this week, I mean, you know, who knows where this goes? I mean, uh, nothing would surprise me at all with this. Yeah, I mean, that that is the thing that we're seeing, you know, it is, the police have had how long? Two, two years now that they've been looking at this? So, 
you would expect it to be a very in-depth investigation because otherwise, what have they been doing? Um, but, you know, from the, the information that's, that's that we've reported in the Sunday Mail specifically, and, you know, I have to give uh, most of the credit for that actually to um, our political editor, John Ferguson. He's been, you know, on fire with this stuff. Um, the types of, of things they're looking at it does give that sense that it is a very kind of logical, forensic look at exactly what has been bought and what, you know, what those those funds have been used for, who's been buying them, what is the purpose of, of various purchases. Um, you know, and of course we don't we don't know uh we don't know the reasons for those things, but hopefully that will become clear at some point in future. But certainly, yeah, we can say that the police are doing a very kind of thorough job on this and I don't think they're finished yet. So, Dougie, the second story I want to look at, it was in the papers earlier this week. Um, if you go back to the the raids on the, the home of Nicola Sturgeon, Peter Murrow, and also in relation to the SNP headquarters in Edinburgh, it was reported that the Crown Office were... Um, made aware of the request for a warrant on March 20th, but it was only um, April 3rd um, that it was greenlit and sent to a sheriff. So there was quite a sizable um, gap between those two dates. And some folk are asking whether it was related to the SNP leadership contest. Um, we've got to be careful just talking about this, have to be quite cautious, but what's your view on this story? Yeah, it's a it's a bit of a bizarre one. It seems that it, it's um, obviously sat in someone's entry for uh, a few days. Um, so the theory, certainly the theory throughout the SNP leadership contest, was that you know Humza Yusuf presented himself as the continuity candidate, uh, and thus he was intrinsically linked with uh, you know Peter Morell or Peter Morell's time as chief executive. And the argument goes from some. That uh, had Peter Morell been been arrested um, before the end of, of of the leadership contest, then it might have an impact on um, on the result. The suggestion, again, from some, seems to be that maybe the Crown Office wanted to avoid the political implications of um, arresting him before the end of it. Now, again, I don't think anyone, the opposition, are 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 are, 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 are kind of questioning that and, and at the same time by arresting them before the end of it of course it could also have had equally as, as, as massive political um, implications but it's kind of opened up a debate about the the uh, position of the Lord Advocate obviously she sits as a and, and again there's no you know there's no suggestion of any wrongdoing or anything but she sits as a government minister uh, and I think yeah, a, a few people now would like to see that that situation uh, changed. I, I doubt very much Dorothy Bain would be in any mood to do favours for Nicola Sturgeon after um, you know being hung to dry in the Supreme Court case back in um, you know back in 2022. But uh, certainly among them, Kenny McCaskill, a, a former Justice Minister, um, himself said, that, uh, you know, there should be that separation of the prosecution service and um, and the government because regardless of kind of facts of it, the optics aren't great. And I think I come back to this every week. It's, you know, it's, it's the optics of the situation that um, the suggestion that they waited two weeks, it allowed the SNP leadership 
contest to to um, come to a close, and then all of a sudden the trade takes place. Uh, and I think it is going to open up a debate about the position of the Lord Advocate within the Scottish Cabinet. I um, think so as well, like, as you're saying, it's not, it, you know, I don't think anyone is suggesting that there was a conscious, like some, again, a conspiracy because this bloody situation is full of, like, conspiracy theories, but it, it, it just should never be allowed to be questioned. Like, we shouldn't have the head of you know, senior judicial figures also sitting within government, you know, and if they did separate those out, it would just remove the issue altogether. Do you know what I yeah, mean? Exactly. It, it, people wouldn't be able to have these sort of crazy theories because it just wouldn't be the case. Um, right. As you say, it's got this dual role. You could quite easily separate those out, couldn't you? I mean, well, exactly. You know, why is, why is it not separate? Um, but I think one interesting thing about this is it's, I mean, this might be me, um, this is just my opinion, right? But I think this, the the situation with the warrant and things, it's kind of thrown up a bit of a question about the relationship between the police and the Crown. And I'm kind of getting the sense that perhaps the police are not entirely thrilled with the Crown in terms of the way that this is going down. Um, you know, and also, I mean... It, I think we can ask, like, why the hell did it take so long for a warrant to be issued? I mean, you know, it's it's not unheard of for sheriffs to be woken up in the middle of the night because the cops have to go and burst somebody's door. So, you know, and that's not specific to this case. It's just in general. I mean, I'm not an expert. I don't know how long it takes for warrants to be issued, but two weeks to me seems a bit unusual. Um yeah, just, just one final thing before we move on to the, the ferries. I was a bit surprised that Police Scotland released that information, the dates under FOI. I mean, they're usually so tight with anything that relates to a police investigation, even you know, number of cops in an investigation, how much does it cost? They always give a reason for why they can't release it. Yeah, they released, which was, you know, quite... Well, that uh, in itself, that's what I'm saying about this relationship or maybe how they feel about yeah. it. Um in terms of the crown, but again, that shouldn't be the case. It shouldn't matter. You know, you should be able to request something and they either and they release it because that's just how it should work. But obviously, we know that it doesn't always work like that. So, yeah, yeah. Um, Dougie Ferries, uh, Neil Gray, Cabinet Secretary, stood up, gave an update statement on this depressing Ferries fiasco, and I suppose the top line. Just to recap, um, we should have had two new Calmac ferries. We haven't due to delays and cost overruns and disputes uh, and whatnot. And he basically admitted that the second um, ferry, it would be cheaper to start again than just push ahead with completion of the existing ferry. But they're just going to push ahead anyway because it would result in um, too long of a delay. I mean... How bad is this? It just it seems like an absolute catastrophe. It's it's absolutely dreadful. To, to, to be honest, it, it 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 should be enough to bring you know government ministers down, or should have been in um, in the past. But in some ways, it's so typical of the SNP to kind of circle the wagons on it and try and deflect attention from it and deflect blame. It it, it just looks awful. It, it's an absolute scandal. Um, there needs to be some sort of inquiry into this to find out 
how 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 this has happened, how these decisions were made, who made the decisions, um, and of course the people who suffer are are you know the, those island and coastal communities who are uh, who've who've had to deal with delay after delay, breakdown after breakdown, uh, and of course it's not great for you know the workers at at Ferguson's. This, you know this isn't their fault, and yet they're getting dragged through. Um, the papers every um, every week. I, I noticed uh, that Jim McCall's offered to take it back for a pound if the uh, if the Scottish government um, is willing to put up the the cash. Yeah, for it. On that, I think. I think. Yeah, I think you would need the eye absolutely. So I, I, I mean, it's just it's one of these things where Neil Gray has. I think he's made the right call. Um, in some ways, it's not. Neil Gray's fault. I mean, I mean, it's not Neil Gray's fault. He's relatively new in the role. I, th- I think it's correct that they carry on with it because another delay would be uh, a complete disaster. But uh, you know, once this is over, there are, there are, I mean, there's so many questions to answer, uh, answer right now. I mean, we've had, I think it's six transport ministers during this time, and, and it's just. Um, I was taken by. Uh, I was listening to GMS yesterday and Jamie Halcro Johnson. I liked his line. They were discussing Blackadder and he said when it came to the ferries, there's uh, too many Baldricks and not enough cunning plans. Uh, and I think that I think that pretty much sums it up. Uh, it's probably one of the most depressing um, procurement exercises in the history of Scotland. I mean, like giving it to Fergus Marine in the first place and then the decision to bring it into public control. There's been almost nothing good about this at all from day one, has there? Um, no, nothing. What do you make of this idea that, you know, the government saved jobs? That, that's, you know, that, that's what they always seem to kind of hide behind. I mean, yes, they've saved jobs, but... I mean, it's, it's a kind of hard comparison to make, isn't it, with that? But it's also... They've saved jobs to do this one specific task that is is not being done. But the problem is, you know, when I've been writing about the ferry stuff in the Sunday Mail, whenever I speak to people, the kind of constant thing is, okay, you know, when this, this contract, whenever it is finished, like we don't have other work. I mean, they have to rely on the UK government contracts, like the MOD stuff for the MOD, BAE systems. Um, who else? Lockheed Martin, I want to say. Um, you know, they're reliant on on contracts from out with the Scottish government to, to keep them going just now, but that's not sustainable. And the guys who are working, well, guys and girls who are working there just now, a lot of them are, are kind of slightly older and they'll be, you know, probably going into retirement in the not too distant future. And there is a real concern about you know, if we want to actually have a shipbuilding industry in Scotland, then you need to have more young people coming through and they're not going to be able to learn those skills if there's not the contracts there um, to to keep the place open and to keep the work going. So it's more than just saving a few jobs. It's actually saving those jobs, yes, but but building up the industry again and, you know, having a, a contract that's just a national embarrassment. I mean, it really is. Like, it's it's ridiculous, this situation with the ferries. Having that is not actually going to, you know, it's not going to inspire 
younger people to want to go and work in that industry. It's not going to, it's not making the people who are there just now, it's not making them proud to go to their work every day when, as Doogie was saying quite rightly, they're being trashed every other week in the papers and it's not their fault. Um, but also, you know, yes, okay, this isn't Neil Gray's fault as such, but I'm going to say actually, yeah, it is his fault because he's part of the government whose fault it is. And I think we need to put, we need to put our foot down somewhere and say, actually, no, you, I'm holding you responsible for this. You're in charge of it now. So you're responsible because otherwise people just keep getting away with it. I mean, who has actually taken responsibility for this? Derek well, McKay. That's, that's the point. I mean, who, who is accountable for this? Well, exactly. It seems to be past the parcel, doesn't it, Debbie? Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I, it, it's just so bad. It, it, it's so, so bad. And as Hannah was saying, to kind of continue on that point, you know, who's uh, who's going to want to come into shipbuilding in Scotland? But, I mean, who's going to want to take out a, a, a contract with Ferguson or indeed anyone on the Clyde? Um, it, it's just so bad. And it's getting kicked down the can. They tried to pin the blame on, on, on obviously, Derek McKay last year. Um, and... and the public, you know, taxpayers deserve to know who's who is responsible for this and whoever's responsible for it. If they're still in government, they should be sacked because it's just simply not good enough. It, it's an absolute. I, I've got to stop myself, you know, channeling manner Malcolm Tucker here. Um, Go on, do it's it. A, it's a cost of something else. So <laughs> it, it's it's just awful. It's dreadful. It's probably one of the biggest scandals of devolution. And yet, yeah, I, mean, I, I covered the Holyrood project, you know, the Holyrood building, that was dreadful. Covered the trams in Edinburgh, that was dreadful. This is way worse. This is yeah, just, it is, but it's bad. also just, like, what is the, pro like, why, why is the Scottish government unable to get these big projects right? You know, we've got, like, for example, the duelling of the A9 and the A, what is it, A, A96. Uh, we've got the total, absolute uh, beep show of uh, the hospitals, Queen Elizabeth University Hospital, the one in Edinburgh. Um, you know, it's it, it's not as if it's just unique to one sector, like transport or whatever. It's it's across the board. Like, what's going on here? And, you know, we are, it's just, you know, it's, it makes us look incompetent. It's embarrassing. But also, it, these things have such a massive detrimental impact on the everyday lives of ordinary people. And it's not, you know, it shouldn't be too much to ask for the government to actually provide, like, basic essentials for people to go about their business. You know, it, I mean, it's I, just appalling. I mean, I mean, two ferries barely scratches the surface of what's, you know, So, I mean, if we can't get this right, then... Who knows? I suspect we'll be talking about this uh, story this time next year. Um, just moving on to uh, youth violence or classroom violence. We had a splash this morning. It was based on a, an FOI request from the Lib Dems, which showed an increase in school violence, particularly uh, in primary schools. So I think that for the last full year, you've got about 11,000 uh, violence reports and there was also an increase for secondaries as well, and that it ties into a campaign that the record's got, Our Kids, Our Future, about calling for greater interventions um, on this issue. Um, Dougie, what, what was your response to these pretty 
worrying statistics. Well, obviously, as you say, Paul, it's incredibly concerning. Um, sadly, sadly, not overly surprising. Um, I think the last few years have been extremely tough on our school children. I think ultimately, COVID, COVID lockdowns are, are, you know, are, are responsible for this, uh, taking them out of their school environment. Um, placing an enormous pressure on them, uh, you know, being schooled from home. We've all seen the videos, you know, online, this kind of social media era. Uh, it's it's incredibly depressing, unfortunately incredibly familiar. And I think it, uh, and I think it's a hangover from, um, from, uh, from COVID and, you know, how you, how you end it or how you bring it back under control, um, it's very difficult. Whether time will be a healer, um, mm. no. But it, it, it's it was an extremely uh, powerful front page and extremely depressing one as well. Hannah, mm. do you agree with Dougie? Do you think these statistics should be seen in the light of lockdown and the impact that that's had on children and young people? I mean. I'm going to be completely honest and say I don't know. I'm not a child psychologist. I've got no idea if the pandemic, you know, the pandemic made everybody mental in some way or the other. You know, people are, the ramifications of the pandemic have been so widespread and there are things that are only coming to light now that, you know, we, we would never have considered to be an after effect of the pandemic. I mean, mental health problems through the roof, uh, relationship breakdowns, undiagnosed conditions. Uh, and then, you know, there's all the, the other stuff to do with uh, public spaces being changed and not reopened. And, you know, there's just so many things. But in terms of kids and violence, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to sit and say, oh, yes, it's definitely the pandemic. I've got no idea. I really don't know. But whatever the cause... Teachers need, teachers need to be able to teach in classrooms where they feel safe and they need to be able to take action if there's something going on where there is a safety issue. And kids need to be able to go into school and not be afraid that they're going to get battered and that video is going to be put on the internet. I mean, you know. Well, it, but it's, I, just that point, Hannah, it's social media, I think, that is one of the big issues here. Because, you know, when I was at school, there was violence you know, I used to see fights, um, but now with technology, with TikTok and Facebook, you know, folk are recording this, putting it on the social media platform, and it's getting shared. It's sort of ritual humiliation. Um, yeah. Do you think is that is that something that really should be clamped down on this harmful content? Well, yeah, but I mean, yes, obviously. I mean, people should that it shouldn't be allowed. But it's we've seen this with you know the UK government's um, online safety bill and the amount of problems that they've had with that trying to get that through because where do you even start you know when these social media companies are completely at a loss like they can't police absolutely every single post that goes on if you post something even if that company takes it down somebody's already copied it and put it on another platform or there's you know a thousand more versions of it popping up on everywhere else so it's you know 
it's a really, really tricky issue, but I do agree with what you're saying, Paul, in terms of social media being a catalyst for this stuff. I do think that social media has a huge kind of part to play in many of, of the issues, especially around, a, you know, development of children and young people. Um, and this might be one of the problems and then other things like, you know, um, self-harm content and kind of radicalization and all that stuff it's just really really difficult to control um, and okay, i was going to say you think of the strictures that we work under as journalists you know we've got the ipso code we've got the law yet these things don't seem to apply to the social media companies is there a case for them to be treated like they were media organizations and then they have to sort of comply with the, the rules that we have to comply with I think there is a case for that. Uh, I, I, I think they could be doing more as well. Um, I, I think with their with the algorithm, uh, the algorithms they have, if they can tell I've been talking about a certain product and then all of a sudden an advert pops up for it on my feed, then I'm sure they can um, take action against these, you know, these videos, these these messages. It's it's a complete minefield, a legal minefield. We've seen mm -hmm. it during Alex Salmon tri uh, trial, social media. Um, you know, it seems to me only a matter of time before, you know, trials collapse because of things that are posted on social media and and it's a complete wild west on there and they should be placed, you shouldn't be able to go on there and make, you know, defamatory comments or, um, you know, comments that are in contempt of court. You certainly shouldn't be able to go on and post videos of, of you know, some kid battering another kid. Um, so I, I I think absolutely, you know, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, all, all these, Instagram, all, all, all these have a part to play. And I think, they, I think they just pay lip service to this problem. They, they, they just kind of go, you know, we're trying, we're doing what we can. Uh, it's all about free speech, blah, 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 blah. They don't want to take responsibility. Um, so it, it, it might be a case that government needs to, needs to come in and take, you know, and take responsibility for them or from them. All right, let's wrap things up with good week, bad week. Uh, Hannah, let's start with you. Um, who's up, who's down? So my bad week, let's start with the bad week, is um, Oliver Dowden after he, you know, I don't know if this was his first, was it his first? Uh, you know, I haven't seen him at PMQs. No, before. I don't. Yeah, so it was his first PMQs. And um, because because basically all the deputies got put up. So it was him versus Mary Black. And he made a bit of a silly mistake and said that the SNP had only been in government for 13 years, when actually it's been 16 years for the SNP, while his own party uh, is the one that's been in government for 13, year, <laughs> 13 years. So he got roundly mocked uh, for that, and quite rightly so. Um, and my good week, is Keir Starmer, I think that, you know, um, he's doing all right. He, the local elections um, was always, you know, couldn't have really asked for much better in that. And I think that, you know, Labour continue, I feel like I say this every time I'm on here, but Labour continues to be, you know, going up in the polls and all they need to do is not do anything massively stupid and, you know, hopefully, uh It'll be bye-bye Rishi this time next year. On that, Hannah, I, I mean, the polls are very good for Labour. 
stubbornly so. Still get the impression that Starmer is kind of permanently stuck in third gear. Just can't find four and five. Yeah, no, but ugh, I don't know. I mean, we 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 say this all the time, though. I just feel like this is the constant thing. I think maybe he doesn't need to beat the Tories this time. Well, maybe not. But also, like, let's just just here. If you're listening, just stay where you are. Don't do anything stupid. Don't try and go up to fifth gear. Don't listen to Paul. You'll end up making an idiot of yourself. Just stay where you are, third gear, and you know it'll be fine. It'll all be fine. That's my message to Keir Starmer. Anna's message to Keir Starmer, stay in third gear. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Dougie, how about you? Good week, bad week? Uh, well, I've, I've, I'm, I'll, I'll start with good week. Um, uh, falling on from Hannah, very very, uh, very similar. I've picked Anna's Sarwa. Um, oh, my God. Are we actually agreeing on something? We are. We are. Wow. Uh, it's, it's Although, I would say that uh, Keir Starmer, to me, is like the grey man. He's like the John, uh, the John Major spitting image puppet at times. He's just so so beige. But uh, uh, anyway, I'll move on to Anna. Well, is he um, grey or is he beige? You've got to have a both. Well, I, he's a bit of both. Somehow, he somehow manages to be both. Well, according mm-hmm. to the SNP, he's red and blue. So, I'm sure he can be grey and grey and uh, beige at the same time. But um, I think it's been a good week. I think it's been a good week for Anis Sarwa. Um, Mary Black, I think, gave him an absolute open goal with her uh, Labour and Tories are the same. And then uh, just earlier on, um, oh, I can't remember who it was, but she gave she gave the game away to uh, in an interview with uh, alongside uh, Ian Murray about how the SNP would 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 bring down a Labour government. Uh, and I think, and you know, uh, in Scotland, um, that 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 is a an open goal. Obviously, you know, express leader, uh, the last thing express does what you see is a coalition of chaos between the Labour and the SNP. But I think uh, to quit a lot of voters in Scotland who just want to get rid of the SNP, um, that would be music music to their ears. Uh, the SNP are struggling to get a candidate for Rutherland and Hamilton West. Um, so, you know, who's who's who who really wants to? Go up, go up there just to be beaten, and they're going to win obviously the North Lanarkshire by election next next month in the next few weeks. So uh, it all looks rosy, rosy for Anas. Do you think that, that you mentioned the, the coalition of chaos line? Do you think that will have as much traction this time around as it has, say, in two thousand fifteen? I mean, do you think voters in England will really think that Starmer will be in Hums's pocket? No, no, I don't. I think I think the difference is is. You know, back then it was it was tight. The Tories obviously didn't have a majority uh, going into 2015, so it was you know it was slightly different. Um, I, I think it's a seven-year-old attack. I think I think it should scare people. I, I think the prospect of it, it should should concern people. You, you know, why would you want a party that hates the UK to be you know dictating terms to the UK government? <laughs> Won't Labour just go to the Lib Dems though if they, they need extra votes? They're not going to. Well, yeah. The SNP were barstool. Exactly. I I I mean the the word we've had is very much absolutely no deal with the SNP. Um, this was the message last year that it tells and it appears to be still the message now. So. Um, but also as well, it also relies on the SNP doing fairly well. Mm-hmm. And we don't. I mean, who knows what's going to happen? I mean, I think you can see that the SNP are completely desperate right now. They can see their vote share slipping away. 
they're turning their attacks. Um, you know, this Tory Labour, um, same thing. And yet, if they really believe that, it, it, it also means that Scotland pretty much always gets the government it votes for if, uh, if Labour and Tories are running the same. So, they're saying, uh, you know, they're kind of contradicting themselves. But, um, no, I, I, I think it shows complete desperation in the SNP ranks. Uh, and I, I think we can expect to see this getting ramped up over over the next few weeks, months and year. Great stuff. Thank you for that. That's it for another week. I hope you've enjoyed the latest Planet Hollywood. Thanks again to Hannah and to Doogie for their expert analysis and commentary. So I hope you join us again next week. Cheers. It's important we look at the facts. Why? Why? Douglas Ross is sounding pretty scared. I believe in independence. And he clapped like a seal.